A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. An Elio's original. Each week, we decide who's to blame for a historical tragedy. And each week, you tell us if we got it right. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and this is The Aftermath. The Aftermath. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of The Aftermath. Today, we're speaking with guest expert, Dr. Lori Marino. Dr. Marino is a neuroscientist and expert in animal behavior and intelligence, formerly on the faculty of Emory University. She is currently president of the Whale Sanctuary Project and has appeared in several films and television programs, including the 2013 documentary Blackfish. Let's hear what she has to say about orcas in captivity and the Tilikum attacks. Hello, Dr. Marino. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So could you start off by giving us some general information on killer whales? First off, they're technically dolphins? Yes, they are. They're, they're delphinids. They are a member of the dolphin family, and they are the largest dolphin. And uh, they are one of many, many uh, species of odontocetes or toothed whales. So killer whales or orcas, as I like to call them, are uh, incredibly intelligent, uh, emotionally and socially sophisticated animals. Their brains are large, highly uh, convoluted, complex and uh, they are also among the most culturally sophisticated animals on the planet. And could you tell us more about their habits in the wild? 
in the wild, uh, orcas or killer whales uh, live in strongly bonded family units embedded within other a hierarchy of social units. So there's pods, there's families, pods, clans, whole communities. And those uh, relationships uh, are very, very important to them. And uh, they uh, are, are very, very, uh, those relationships are held together uh, through culture and, and emotional bonds. And when you talk about orcas, you have to say which community, because depending upon where the orcas live and which community you're talking about, they may have a very different lifestyle. And that is the influence of culture. It's just like humans. That's amazing. Now, uh, in the 60s, orcas start being captured. What, yes. what was the main argument behind placing them in captivity? And how, how does orca trapping become so, such a lucrative business? Well, of course, uh, killing orcas and also capturing them and putting them in captivity became lucrative uh, first because uh, people didn't understand orcas. They didn't understand that they weren't the killers that people thought they were. Uh, and and then once uh, they started to be captured and people flocked to see them, it was realized that that was lucrative. People want to see the top predator of the ocean. They want to see a large animal. And unfortunately, that led to more and more of them being captured. Why do they get such a, a reputation, these killer whales? I think killer whales get a rep got a reputation uh, primarily because of their size and their countenance. You know, people who look at them, they, they look like top level predators, uh, but also uh, because they uh, have been observed to uh, be very skilled at killing not only fish, but other mammals and porpoises, et cetera. So depending upon the, the orca community or society you're talking about, you're going to see expert hunters uh, of other animals in the sea. And that's the kind of thing that I think people tend to not only be afraid of, but feel threatened by. It's, it's kind of like you know, why we're threatened by sharks, any animal that we perceive to be, you know, ab above us in terms of ability in some way, uh, we feel threatened by, and we have to try to eliminate it or control it. So who was Tillicum and where did he spend his early years in captivity? Well, he spent his early years in captivity. Uh, he was he was he's an he was an Icelandic orca, and he was captured uh, when he was about two years old. Uh, and he was placed in oh, sea land. Sea land. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, Tillicum was placed in Sealand after being captured at the age of about two from his family in Iceland. And uh, he was there. And uh, while he was there, he was with other orchids and uh, he killed uh, a young trainer. Here. So could you tell us more about um, 
captivity-induced aggression. Is this common for orcas in captivity? What is it? How does it manifest? We've done a number of studies looking at the, the, the records, the science of, of what happens to wild animals when they're placed in captive, impoverished environments. And that's what a concrete tank is. And, and uh, you know, what you find is a whole cascade of stress-induced uh, problems, everything from, you know, immune system dysfunction and opportunistic infection to behavioral abnormalities, things like stereotypies, uh, repetitive behaviors. But one of, the, one of those is, is hyperaggression. Uh, and the hyperaggression in the tanks and marine parks is something you that's quite unique to that situation. First of all, the hyperaggression is because the animals are frustrated. Uh, they don't get to lead uh, a natural life and the chronic stress wears on them. But it's also the case that uh, there is no space to move away when there is an aggressive encounter. So the normal way in the wild that whales, killer whales and others, uh, you know, minimize aggression is they just disperse. So if they fight, you know, at some point they have an, the whole ocean to disperse, but in the tanks, there's nowhere to go. So imagine being in a small room with someone who you don't, necessarily want to be with. And uh, what do you do about the fact that you disagree about something? All of that escalates in the tanks. And that's when you see the levels of aggression in the tanks that are just non-existent in the free ranging in the wild. And what were some of those results? How does it um, manifest? Are, are they literally fighting? Or I, I had read somewhere about these uh, about teeth grinding. Yes, yes. So, so orcas uh, and other cetaceans in marine parks uh, do something called uh, teeth grinding, and what they do is they grind their teeth on the hard surfaces of gates and parts of the tank. Why do they do that? Well, there's no purpose to it other than it may relieve some stress or it's a, a, a coping mechanism. It's what's called an oral stereotypy, and it's something that is seen uh, in different ways across all animals who are placed in chronically stressful situations. So when you see an orca with ground down teeth, uh, in a marine park, that orca has done that because of stress, chronic stress. So you, you, you went into this a little bit, but what is, an, what is the day-to-day -day life of an orca in captivity? What I like to say about captivity for orcas is everything that makes life worth living for an orca is missing in a marine park. I, it's the only way to say it because it's, it's absolutely the case. When you think about it, what's important to an orca, family and social group and culture. And you just don't have that. You may have a mother, child in the tanks, uh, but you have nothing like the richness of what 
that animal would have in the wild. So they don't have that. Sometimes uh, mothers and calves are separated. That would never happen in the wild. They don't have anything to really do. Um, They don't have a way to exercise something very important to them, which is autonomy. The choice, choice about how to spend their day. There's nothing to do in a concrete tank. So there are really very few choices, if any, to make. They don't choose how to eat. They don't choose who they get to spend time with. And they're forced to perform tricks. Um, And so they're in a really impoverished environment where an animal with a brain, like an orca, and I've studied dolphin and whale brains for over 30 years. When you look at that brain and you think about that brain being in a concrete tank, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And, And there's no way an animal like that could ever thrive in a concrete tank. So you just mentioned this, that male orcas, uh, they they tend to uh, stay with their mothers in the wild. And is this common? And, and how could this tendency have been a factor in Tillicum's experience during captivity? Well, it, it, it's the case that, you know, family groups among orcas are always very, very close. Now, in some groups, like in the southern resident killer whales off the Washington coast, uh, we find that uh, male orcas spend their whole lives in association with their mom, their mother. Um, And if something happens to the mother, if she dies, for instance, he may go into uh, depression or even die if not given the social support needed to take you know, to substitute for the mother. Um, And there are variations on that across different orca uh, species. Um, But um, in the, in the tanks, um, you don't really have, um, uh, you could have, uh, you know, all kinds of different relationships that are disrupted. Now, in the case of Tillicum, he was taken when he was a youngster, he was about two, and he would have been still dependent upon his mom. Maybe he would have been weaned, but orcas and other dolphins have a really long juvenile period where they get to learn what it's like to be a successful individual in their society, and they have the help of their mother and their aunts and their sisters and and other and friends, a whole rich society. All of that um, is was missing after Tillicum was was captured. He he missed out on that formative learning, that learning that would have taken place to help him to be a confident individual and to teach him how to be an orca when he grew up. And would he have bond, tried to bond with the other females in the tank? Uh, Because I know that they were, I believe there was fighting amongst them. Yes. And a lot of people, you know, think, well, you know, all you have to do is put animals together of any kind. And that's a social group. And that's not a social group. That's an artificial collection of individuals forced to live together. And that's what it was like for Tillicum. 
uh, when he first came into captivity. I mean, there was a lot of fighting. Um, and it's not always the case that, you know, individuals are going to get along. They have individual personalities, individual needs, and there's there is not necessarily going to be harmony when you throw a bunch of individuals together and force them to live together. Uh, so it's not surprising that there was fighting and aggression. Yes, and, and this uh, uh, slowly... S- this aggression starts to be directed towards humans. And why, why would that have happened um, for Intilicum's case? Well, you know, in any case, when you have um, someone who is being abused by someone that just basically leaks into all aspects of their life. And we know this is true even for humans who Um, suffer child abuse, for instance, Uh, aggression. When they're young, they often become the bully. They often strike out. Uh, This is called displacement behavior in psychology. Um, But in the case of Tillicum, he was taken away from the only support structure he had, placed in an impoverished small environment with strangers, and uh, suffered uh, aggression. I mean, what that must have done to his ability to develop normally is is any anyone's guess. But if he is like any other animal who spends a long juvenile period learning from their their family, that would have contributed to his becoming emotionally disturbed. I mean, he could not develop normally psychologically in an environment like that. And I noticed that there were about 10 year gaps between each of the attacks. Uh, is, is there any rhyme or reason there? I don't think so. I, I think that, you know, it is still uh, not known, you know, exactly, you know, what the motivations are for each attack. And it is, in, in my personally, I think it's stunning that Tillicum didn't strike out more and that other workers uh, don't strike out more. When you consider what they can do and the circumstances that they're put in, it's stunning to me that there isn't more aggression. And, you know, there is a lot of aggression, whale on whale, and also there have been hundreds of cases of Orcas uh, aggressing against trainers, et cetera. And, uh, but, but I think that in, in a sense, one has to wonder, why doesn't that happen more often? Not that you want it to, but that you're wondering what, why they don't do it uh, more often uh, because of what they're forced to, how they're forced to live. Now, th- there was a theory that was uh, thrown out after the third attack on on the trainer, Dawn, about her having a, a ponytail um, that perhaps might have gotten him confused or agitated. I mean, is there any validity to that? I don't think so. The idea that someone like Tillicum with a brain like that could somehow get confused over a ponytail Uh, It just doesn't make sense at all. I mean, these are brilliant animals. He knew her very well. I mean, the, the, it is, it is 
you know, an insult to his intelligence, if you will, that you could say, well, he just got confused about a, a, a some hair hanging down and he thought it was a toy. He knew exactly what he was doing. I'm sorry that it happened. Um, but he he did not think that this was play. Um, it, there is no evidence for that. And I, I don't think that there's anything to that kind of a justification or reasoning. So could you t- talk to us maybe about the uh, whale sanctuary project and uh, what is what are the goals there? Well, our goal is to provide a, uh, an alternative to the tanks uh, and a, uh, to by creating a model for a new way to relate to orcas and other dolphins and whales who are currently being kept in tanks. Um, and uh, we are creating a, a seaside sanctuary of over 100 acres in Nova Scotia. And uh, we hope to uh, welcome our first residents next year. And the sanctuary is for beluga whales as well as orcas. They would be in separate sections. And after learning so much about what these animals endure in the tanks and the marine parts, whether they're performing or not, realizing that they cannot thrive and concrete tanks, no matter what you hope for or try to do. And they can't be released into the ocean uh, because there's nowhere for them to go. They don't have a family to go to. They, they, They are probably born into the tank, so there's no culture or family to go back to. They don't have survival skills. So the next best thing is to provide for them Um, a naturalistic environment where they can exercise their autonomy, where their well-being is the priority and they're not forced to do tricks or have people ride on them in the case of bottlenose dolphins, where they're respected and people can learn that these animals should be respected. You don't learn that in a marine park. You learn that we can control them and we can make them do this, that, and the other thing. In a sanctuary, we're hoping that this becomes a way for people to realize that um, these are animals that need to be respected um, for who they are. And I, I find this so interesting. I, I want to circle back a little bit. Um, you, you mentioned that orcas have different cultures depending on where they're from. Uh, yes. Can you explain some of the different cultures? <laughs> yeah. Uh, for instance, I mean, obviously the best uh, culture, orca culture studied on the planet are the southern resident killer whales or orcas uh, in, in Washington state uh, near the San Juan Islands. They've been studied for decades. They're endangered. Um, and every every single individual is accounted for. And, and there are scientists there who have been studying them and know them uh, intimately. Um, those uh, orcas uh, have a, a specific way of feeding. They feed mostly on Chinook salmon. That's one of the problems because the Chinook are not as readily available as they used to be. They also have dialects and they also don't breed outside of their group. 
There's another group called the transient orcas, and they live a little further offshore, but they come in uh, and overlap with the southern resident killer whales at certain times of the year. They don't eat any fish. They eat mammals. And they don't, they have a different dialect and they don't, they stay out of each other's ways. So that is the very definition of culture. There's nothing that would biologically prohibit them from from reproducing, but they have such different cultures that it's just, it would be unheard of. So you stick with your culture. I stick with mine. We can share the same space, but we are not competing for resources. We have different dialects. We're different folk, right? We're different folks. And you do you, I do me. And, you know, that's that's fascinating because if they've worked it out, this is they have deliberately decided to separate themselves in a way that allows both to survive. Then you have the northern residents who are further up north in British Columbia. And again, there's no reproduction between the northern and the southern. And then you can go across the world and find orcas who are, they don't eat fish necessarily. Well, they do eat fish, um, but they specialize on, say, manta rays. And they eat those. So, um, and they have a, a slightly different social structure. These are truly cultures in in any in the way that you and I know cultures, it's like, you know, one culture, human culture may specialize in a certain cuisine, have a certain language, a way of, of being. That's, that's just what it's like for orcas. In the wilds, in captivity, all of that is missing. So we have to ask all, we like to ask all of our guest experts this question. Um, at the end of the day, if you had to pick a person or thing, it could be a concept that you think is to blame for the, in this case, the specifically the tilikum attacks on humans, but it could be really a male uh, orca aggression in captivity. Who or what would that be? Human exceptionalism. Our species is to blame. There's no one specific person or organization. Our species is to blame because we took him from his family. We put him in a concrete tank. We assumed that that would be fine. We forced him to perform. Uh, and we think that that's, and we and we forced him to be on display. And people went through the turnstiles, paid money, to gawk at him. Um, so who is to blame? It's it's our species and how we relate to other animals. Um, we treated him with uh, the ultimate disrespect, if you will, right? We didn't see him for who he was. This intelligent, socially complex, wild predator. And we tried to make him into something that he wasn't. And the it's a tragedy what happened to the people he killed, but also to him. Um, so human exceptionalism, the belief that we can do this and it's okay. 
that it's ethically, morally acceptable. And, and that's what killed him and killed those other people. Um, just as, as it continues to do to this day uh, with other wild animals who are kept in, in tanks and cages and, quote, habitats where they cannot thrive. Dr. Marino, thank you so much for talking to us about this uh, terrible tragedy and also helping us understand what is at stake here. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all have stress and anxiety we carry around as we go about our everyday life. At The Alarmist, we know it's always better to say it out loud and talk it through. Whenever I stress about the sinking of the Titanic, I don't sit with those thoughts in a dark room. I turn on the lights and dive right into it. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and work through what's really going on. Maybe you can't stop spiraling or catastrophizing. I started therapy over 10 years ago and never looked back. If you're thinking of starting therapy... Give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Heck, we sometimes change our minds and rethink the verdict at The Alarmist. And that's also okay when it comes to therapists. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Alarmist today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P dot com slash alarmist. With us today, we have producer Clayton Early. Hello. And fact checker Chris Smith. Hi. So much information. Mm-hmm. I had no idea how, uh, well, obviously intelligent, but mm-hmm. um, evolved. Social. Yeah. yeah evolved or- is a great yeah, word for it. Yeah, orcas were. I mean, the, the just to hear her talk about what should be their, you know, day-to-day existence and lives and experience and, and realize 
how human it is, you know, have the culture that they exist in, the things that they need emotionally, you know, support from their peers. It's, it's um, not at all surprising that any c- creature of that intelligence level confined in a small space with unknown strangers just indefinitely that they would have some kind of emotional problem and act out. Yeah. I mean, look, hey, we kind of had a feeling it was going to happen when we built the uh, alarmist jail, but it's time to just throw the entire human population <laughs> in there. And Here's I don't know the thing. how it makes you rethink out. jail. You know, I was thinking a lot about prisons and oh. like how on, you know, like, is that really a mad? There's a lot of prison outbreaks of violence. That's a problem because these people are like forced into small confined areas and they're not necessarily part of the same culture. So I know we're throwing bad actors in the alarmist prison. But I wonder if we need to create a, a akin to this sanctuary that Dr. Marina was talking about, a better, more rehabilita- rehabilitative alarmist jail. So these people who have done wrong have an opportunity to grow and learn no, and become we, better members of history. Yes. We, have pl- we have a lot. We have got the blueprints and the plans we've been <laughs> studying in the Nordic countries. They have a much more, uh, it's more rehabilitative prison system. Mm-hmm. And we mo- we're going to model that. We'll be ready in probably 2040, 2045. Well, it's no, a huge the time build. is now, Chris. We, you know. Well, we're incorporating priority. some of the methods to rehabilitate these prisoners. Um, we have guards who are more trained as sort of social workers and that kind of thing. But um, at the end of the day, it's really expensive. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's just like college, though. Like maybe it's like it's a four-year program. Like, yeah, it's like <laughs> for people. For example, like if you messed up like a bridge thing, like you're you're going back to engineering school to revisit bridge design. <laughs> no, so no, you no, can no. have appreciation. No, no, no. If they, if they fucked up a bridge, they're going to music school. Okay, we're t- we're, we're yeah, yeah, pi- yeah. You can no longer work on bridges. We're Take on new. Ask them kindly to pivot their uh, area of expertise. <laughs> But you you bring up a really good point. I mean, what what is this captivity is very similar to a prison, and that does make mm-hmm. you think about the effects of that kind of isolation and um, oh my god, yeah, you know, environment um, sure. on, on a on a human and on on, on many species. So. I, I think we yeah. we do need to think about that uh, just as 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 an alarmy. Um. <laughs> it makes you realize how friggin' we are very smart. I mean, when you because I was re-listening to the episode about uh, the um, uh, Deepwater Horizon, and we were able were able to build these machines, massive, mm-hmm. huge machines. We're incredibly smart, and yet when it comes to something like that, you would think that a uh, a human population that has a type of system like a prison system would be able to put two and two together that nobody should really be experiencing this kind of environment mm-hmm. this way. Um, I, I, I mean, it's like you start to, it's just depressing when you think about it. It's just like really sad that we can't um, use our better judgment. We're so smart way. and yet we're so dumb, aren't yeah, we? Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And we're all products of our environment too. Like that nobody's immune to like whatever you're being stimulated by in the yeah. environment that you're in. If something happens that's really jarring in an environment, you're going to react to that. Yeah. If yeah. there's nothing to react to and it's just you're left to your own devices, 
that might then you go internal. <laughs> yes, yes. And, yeah. and and speaking of environment, something that we didn't really discuss during the episode, but that Dr. Marino brought up was this um, this uh experience of of abuse right so mm-hmm. she cut you know when she was speaking about the attacks she said that Tilikum and and an orca in captivity would have known exactly what they were doing so right. it wasn't confused by a ponytail it wasn't playing uh with them it right. was it was a di- direct attack and that could have been triggered by abuse right what what is what would be perceived by the orcas as abuse, yeah, well, especially said, from childhood. Right. Well, what she said was, that you, I'm surprised it doesn't happen more often. Right. Is basically right. What she said, which tells you everything you need to know. I mean, the, the expert who studies orca brains, right, for 30 years is telling you, I'm surprised this doesn't happen more often. Okay, let's listen to her. She seems like she knows what she's talking mm-hmm. about. Uh, and let's prevent the, this kind of... Um, yeah, this this abuse of these animals. It's it really made me angry. Honestly, I feel, I don't know if you guys can tell it in my tone, but um, if this was a, a video, like, or if we were recording this on on my, you'd see my face is really angry. I got a little steam coming he's out got, of my ears. He's got fists up in the air. Mm-hmm. Fists are up mm-hmm. in the air. They're They've shaking. Been, they're sort of limply up in the air. They're not like ext- fully extended. Mm-hmm. But I'm I was still thinking upset. about um, her comments about how they have a really long juvenile period, and uh-huh. like it just seems like it's such like arrested development. If they if you're kind of robbed of that, they mm-hmm. literally don't know how to act appropriately once they are grown. Right. And you know, it's like just to draw a comparison, we all have. Um, the Smiths and myself, we have lots of dogs and you never just assume that putting a bunch of dogs together is all going to be fine because they're all dogs. Like even the (laughs) nicest dog could get in a fight. And we got two dogs right before the pandemic started. And there was a great deal of concern because they weren't able to socialize with other dogs that they were going to be a bit more, you know, wary of and aggressive with other dogs because of that lack of of social, basically arrest development. They couldn't Mm -hmm. socialize. And it was a big concern. And we've had to like take extra steps coming out of the pandemic to be more intentional with socializing them because of that. Right. You guys did some interesting stuff. You drove all the way out to Culver city and just dropped them in the middle of the high on the middle of the highway there, <laughs> yep. which I thought was a bit extreme. Yeah. But they got to tough up. They got, they, they <laughs> Not were everything is sort of socialize breakfast and, and they- cookies all day. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but uh, you know, uh, th- that also goes to what, what Dr. Burrito was saying about how these, uh, animals travel in in families essentially, mm-hmm. and it's like the the difference I, I'm seeing here in your notes. Um, the difference between being with family versus roommates, living with right. Um, it can honestly both are challenging. I see challenges yes. to both <laughs> for different reasons. <laughs> but, but yeah, the reason I wrote that, I was like, you know what? And Clayton had the better sort of comparison, which is prison. Um, that those are really, you know, people being forced uh, uh, to live in that kind of environment together. But, you know, I just thought roommates and families. So it was so interesting the way she was explaining how these whales, they just like they keep to their own uh, families. They need their own families. They rely on them. And, you know, in, in human relationships, families have a vested interest. I mean, you know, if you're mm-hmm. lucky and you have a, a loving family, a supportive family, then. Uh, you know, you have a, uh, they have a vested interest in your well-being. Or you choose your family, like, right? You have right. a chosen family. Yeah. You're not just forced with a random group and told to be like thriving together. You can't right. just force that. 
Well, I, I, I'm also just laughing here at your notes where someone wrote West Side Story, but a happy ending. Well, uh, that was <laughs> I, I, I was thinking because she was explaining the difference between the different groups of the orcas that are living off of Washington State, and they stick to each other's like they don't. Um, I guess she was saying they mingle. don't cross. They uh, don't mingle. They don't mingle. And it <laughs> made me think of West Side Story. You're a cheddar shark. Human mm-hmm. beings are like, well, that was that's kind of the whole thing, too. It's like human beings, we went out to see it. We saw these big, big, scary dolphins. And we were like, whoa, those are big. Let's like show them to people. And it's like you have the same experience with the main two characters in West Side Story. They were like... <laughs> They saw each other and they were like, whoa, you're so beautiful. Like, (laughs) let's be together. I want to be in charge. I want to have power over you. That's what it is, right? Because at the top, she said that. It's like, you know, humans are threatened by these top predators. So Ah. our nature is, and we did talk about this on our podcast, this like desire to kind of control or be in power of the most powerful thing. And I feel like that's what you're saying, Chris. It's like, when you look at it from a gang perspective, it's all about posturing and power, right? Who's the most totally. up top. powerful. Yeah, the top predator. But it's totally one-sided. Like the whales are minding their own business. Right. And humans are like, let's line up, boys. It's, really- <laughs> it's like the Jets are like, you guys are cool. Like, we don't, you can do whatever you want in this neighborhood. Do you want we're like, no, we don't care. no, we're we coming out them. to get you. I'm coming after you. <laughs> and they're singing and dancing. And like, cool, that's fine. I, you, that, can that. you can do whatever you want. <laughs> we need to come up with a mean we choreography. We have our own choreography, our own style of dance. You can right? continue to do yours. Um, uh, so what if we end up sending to the alarmist, uh, uh, should I say, rehabilitation, rehabilitation center? center. <laughs> yes. Oh, God, is this a rebrand? Oh, That's God. a big change. Okay, got, we'll, we'll I, discuss, I would say we have I mean, to run it by Amanda at least. <laughs> no, and maybe no. the alarmy. I mean, I'm all for rehabilitation. Um, I, it's just, are we? Uh, okay, well, we'll, we'll discuss. Oh, so Whatever. expensive. It's, we're going to need, we're gonna need more donations. It's a big can of worms. But, you um, know, I, I'm, I support <laughs> so here's what we decided on. We decided to throw the capitalist kids industry in jail. Uh, and we gave a big slap to humans getting handsy slash man's obsession with power. Now, I will say that the slap kind of plays into her human exceptionalism. And we did talk at length about hubris right. uh, yes. on the episode. And I guess you could make the argument that capitalism is a way of cashing in on like that power right that I, I think that we were struggling with uh the humans uh idea the human idea that we can control whatever we mm-hmm. want versus mm-hmm. the capitalistic nature of what marine parks yes you know bring to yes. the table so i i think per well, I, I, from dr marino's perspective i i you know she would have definitely sent the 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 human I, you know, like she said, Human exceptionalism, exceptionalism. Um, mm-hmm. to the alarmist jail, which encompasses like the humans getting handsy, like right. getting our mm-hmm. hands on whatever we want. But, you yep. know, there's some 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 symmetry uh, to this. Uh, what did we say? Kids, uh, kid industry, capitalist kids industry, capitalist kids industry to me, which is really uh, poetic, which is like we almost like shelter our kids from these sort of realities, right? Where we're mm. like, okay, get close to the whale, touch the whale, get sort of the whale, whatever. Like, oh, this is fun. We're having a good time. But, you know, the real sort of thing we should be teaching our, our kids is to appreciate things in their own natural habitat. Right. Mm. Not, not bringing them all the way in closer to the kids. 
Um, captivity so is like, you're entitled to this. You're entitled yeah, to witness that, this thing that, that we've sort of, created. Yeah. We're teaching them that it's okay, essentially. And, and, and just the symmetry I was talking about was that in the whale communities, they, they have that very strong uh, parent bond, that mother, that mother bond. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it's just so sad that, you know, in a way we're, we're sort of missing that because we're missing that opportunity for real connection where we're just like, okay, what do I do with my kid for four hours a day? I just, I'm exhausted. And, um, it just seems more like a, a problem, uh, in, in our communities. I know I'm oversimplifying here, but there's, there's some, there's something that doesn't feel right about it in terms of, I just mean the the difference between our species, (laughs) but I think that we should kind of flip it. I, I, I am with Dr. After speaking to Dr. Marino, I, I feel like we do need to send humans getting handsy, a.k.a. you know, human exceptional exceptionalism where it's like we they sure, you know, you can so we gra- switch grab, it? grab and go whatever you want. You know, um, I, I think it's important, um, but I, I'm with that. Okay, so I'm going to call it Humans Getting Handsy. You're going to the alarmist jail. Sorry, Rehabilitation Center. Yes. So you see, <laughs> we're, we're going to have to train ourselves. And I'm thinking about going into the uh, Alarmist Rehabilitation Center once a month and teaching a, an acting class. What do you guys think about that? <laughs> I think I'm sure that there'd be some um, members in there who would be into that. Uh huh. Yeah. Just oh, to yeah, a lot. get them communicating, get them sort of think getting outside of their themselves a little bit. And- you know who would be really into it was the, would be the uh, Biosphere folks. Yes. yes. Did we send them to jail? <laughs> Biosphere two. Yeah, Biosphere two people. They were originally acting. Yeah. Acting yeah. Through. That's right. Uh huh. Um. So. Clayton, before we go, uh, how are we doing on uh, ratings and reviews? Uh, because, again, I want to stress to all of our uh, Alarmy members out there, if you haven't done so, if your cousin who's always, you know, who you got uh, hooked on the show as well, hasn't done a review, you know, make sure everyone in your family has already done a review on our Apple podcast page. Mm. Um, have we gotten any new ones, Clayton? We have. Yes. I'm just checking now. Um, let's read this one from widget six who gave us a five-star review. Um, and it says, uh, I love this podcast in the Erios network, Rebecca fact checker, Chris, Amanda, and Clayton do a great job. Each episode of taking a deep look into history's tragedies and assigning blame something I didn't know I needed so much in life. Although capitalism and the fashion industry and the patriarchy should be serving multiple life sentences. <laughs> well worth the journey every episode and love the deep dives with the experts. Well, uh, I, thank you so much, Widget6. And uh, thank you to everyone who has left us a, a review. Uh, mm-hmm. It helps us, you know, get more eyes and ears on the show. Um, and tune in next week. We are going to be discussing... The Chilean coup of 1973. Erios. Powered by ACAST.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.